Good morning. You know, this past week, 12 young men participated in Oldham Lane's annual preacher training camp held here at the building. During the week, these young men learned about life and leadership as well as the art of preaching. At the beginning of the week, the campers were given a topic to preach, and that topic was the parables of Jesus. Each of them were assigned a particular parable, and they worked diligently each day to put their sermon together. Now, Friday morning, they preached that lesson to their peers and their parents. And then, this morning, they've all been sent out to preach at participating churches in our area. Those churches are Trent, Jim Ned Valley, Highway 36, and of course, Oldham Lane. You are in for a treat this morning as Carter Sanders and Kent Cates preach the Word of God. Carter is a 17-year-old. He is homeschooled. He'll be a senior. He is the son of Jay and Carrie Sanders. As we know, uh, some of us anyway, his family tree branches over into Oldham Lane as he is a part of that Vogler clan that we love so well. He's also the grandson of Barbara Sanders, who's here this morning as well. Carter is a terrific young man that I have high hopes for, both in life and in ministry. Then we have Kent Cates, who will be a senior at Garden City. Many of you know Kent. He is one of our own. Kent is the son of Stephen Tracy. Uh, his sister, Michaela, is here as well this morning. He has been to PTC several times. He is an impressive young man who I also know will do great things in life and in the church. Before I turn it over to these fine young men, I want to thank a few people. I want to thank Julie Stanley, who uh, did such a terrific job coordinating our meals. I also want to thank all of those who helped uh, make meals this week. Um, all the meals, at least breakfast and lunch, were prepared and, and eaten up here at the building, and that, that is a big endeavor. So I thank all of you who helped prepare and Julie who coordinated that. I also want to thank Perry and Yvonne May and Charlotte and Monty Vogler. These are the two host parents uh, or families that uh, let these young men stay at their home during the week. I can't thank you enough for opening your home and showing hospitality to these young men. And I also want to thank uh, Zinni Baeza, Clinton Purdue, and Colden Rich, who uh, took the campers every day to their activity. I know the young men loved hanging out with you guys. Thank you so much for spending time with them. You guys are awesome. And I want to thank the staff here at Oldham Lane, or Larry and David and, of course, Luke, and all the tremendous work they did during the week and, and helping to put this camp on, transporting kids, uh, helping them with their lesson, all those things. Uh, thank them so much. And then finally, I want to thank all of you. Oldham Lane has been very supportive of this work from the very beginning. This is the ninth year, and you guys have stood behind these young men and encouraged them. And I know that you will do that this morning and encourage them to take my job because that's what we're training them to do. Some of you say that every year. You say, well, you better watch it. They're going to take your job. That's exactly what we are training them to do. And I know that you will be blessed this morning to hear from Carter Sanders and Kent Cakes. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name is Carter Sanders. Thank you for being here this morning, and thank you for having me to speak to you today. I want to say a special thank you to Chris for organizing and doing all the work for preacher, or a lot of work, for preacher training camp this past week and for Wayne teaching us valuable lessons and all the other teachers that came in. Also to the people who housed us and fed us. It was all amazing, and I just thank you all for that. Now, when I was putting together my sermon for this morning, I thought we could read the whole book of Numbers. 
Starting in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tent of meeting, on the first day of the second month, in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. Okay, so since I've only got ten minutes to speak, how about we just look at the Good Samaritan instead? So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke 10, verse 30 through 37. Starting in verse 30, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, You go and do likewise. In this parable, Jesus is talking to a lawyer, asking him the question, Who is my neighbor? First, Jesus replied with a story outlining a man who was in serious need after he was attacked by robbers. First, two religious Jews come across the man, but effectively leave him for dead. But then a Samaritan, a lowly outsider, showed him mercy and was a loving neighbor to the man. We also see earlier in this chapter that the lawyer knows well the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. The interesting thing here is that he knew he needed to love his neighbor, but didn't know who his neighbor was. Now the two Jews from the parable avoided the man because they were very religious, and if they touched him, they risked being unclean, which is unacceptable to Jews like them. To understand the significance of this story, we have to understand what a Samaritan was to the Jews. The Samaritans were outcasts, nothing but dirty half-breeds to the Jews. And when the Israelites took over Canaan, God ordered them not to be led astray by foreign gods. But the Samaritans were those who married non-Israelites and started worshiping false gods. Now we have to remember that the, pe that the people listening to this were Jews, and they were expecting a Jew to be the hero. So it comes as no surprise to us when they are absolutely horrified that Jesus makes a Samaritan the hero of the story. At the end of verse 38, the lawyer can't even say the word Samaritan. All he says is, the one who showed him mercy. One of the main points of this parable is, who is my neighbor? Leviticus says to love your neighbor as yourself. But in this parable, the priest wrongly thinks that only Jews are his neighbors. And because of that, he wrongly prioritizes staying clean over showing this man love. And 1 Corinthians 13:2 says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So how can we apply this to our lives? There are many people that we disagree with these days, whether it's over religious views or any other dividing line. We have to love our neighbor. We have to be careful not to be like the Jewish lawyer and only think that the people we agree with are our neighbors. In Luke 6.32, it says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Every time you meet someone, you put them into a stereotype. We probably all get guilty of misjudging someone before we actually get to know them. We need to stop this negative way of thinking and think of people how Jesus does. They're all children of God that we are commanded to love. Sometimes as a Christian, it's easy to follow the rules laid out in the Bible, but not stand out as a Christian. Matthew 5:16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We often see people who go to church and follow the rules of being a Christian, but don't shine their light in the world. The Pharisee in the story was technically following the rules when he avoided the man who was injured. If he helped the injured man, that can make him unclean. 
So the only thing we can do is look at Jesus and what he did when he was questioned about the law. In Matthew 12, 11 through 12, it says, He said unto them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit in, on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. We see from Jesus that helping a man, a child of God, far outweighs the consequences of the law. So how can we apply this to our lives? We first have to see the need. In life, it is so easy to be preoccupied with our own lives that we aren't seeing the people in need all around us. If the Good Samaritan had been distracted and looking at his phone while he was walking, he might not have even seen the man who was in need. Second, we have to have a willing heart. The Good Samaritan was willing to give his time and effort to take care of the man and make sure he was okay. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If we want to live according to this verse, we have to have a heart willing to give. Oftentimes, it's very hard to be willing to give. Sometimes it seems like there are people all around us that we don't agree with, like those who publicly go against God, and sadly, I think we all know what our country is celebrating this month, or that annoying neighbor who always has an opposing political view. But guess what? We have to love them. After we have a willing heart, we have to be willing to actually do something about it. And if we take on the mindset of Christ, doing something becomes second nature. And if you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46, starting in verse 1. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one, one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now we all have gifts from God that we are supposed to use. And First Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. One thing we have to remember is that not all gifts are the same. The gifts different people receive vary greatly, from teaching to financial resources. Whenever God presents us with a need, we need to be ready and willing to give. What we see in the Good Samaritan is a genuine Christ-like attitude. Today, we don't lack opportunities to be Good Samaritans. We, need, we must first see the needs, and we need to feel compassion. And like the Good Samaritan, we need to be willing to be inconvenienced in order to give our time and resources to help. That's a hard one, because we like things to be convenient. We like things to be fast, easy, and like I said, convenient. We are busy, tired, stressed, and don't have the energy to go out, go out of our way, especially for someone else's benefit. However, as we allow the love of Jesus to flow through our hearts, 
our hearts can lead us to action, and we will understand more and more what it means to love our neighbor. Thank you all. Good morning, everybody. Um, it is funny how sometimes we as humans have complete confidence in something we are completely blind to. I don't know if y'all know this, but I've been told that teenagers have a false confidence in their driving abilities. <laughs> However, I would disagree because I think I'm a pretty great driver. <laughs> Last year, my friend Paige took me and a couple of friends driving in her mom's new car. One of the cool features to the new car was that whenever you turned on the right blinker, the right side of the car would show up on the screen. And my friend saw this as kind of being useless, but Paige was confident that this would allow her to never hit a curb. Well, 10 minutes passed and she turned on her right blinker and with having too much faith in her driving abilities and not using the screen, she completely demolished a curb. It is obvious that so many of us fall into the trap of wrongdoing and disobedience when our help is right in front of us. In Matthew 21, 28 through 32, the parable of the two sons is told by Jesus and reads, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted, Jesus asked. The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. So, we have two sons. One said he would not do what his father asked, but then did. And the other said that he would do what his father asked and did not. To gain a better understanding of the parable of the two sons, we are going to need to understand who Jesus was talking to. And the best way to do this is to look at Matthew 21 as a whole. Matthew 21 starts with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a donkey, then moves to Jesus' first act upon entering Jerusalem, which was cleansing the temple by chasing out the money changers and those selling doves. Then Jesus begins to heal the blind and lame in the temple and receives praises from the people, which angers the religious leaders. I'm not sure if you have ever felt like cursing a fig tree, but apparently Jesus did, because that's what we read next in Matthew 21, 18 through 20, which reads, Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it and found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. When I first read about Jesus cursing the fig tree, I saw it as an isolated story. But with further digging and study, I saw how Jesus was making a strong symbolic point. Through reading Hosea 9.10 and Joel 1.7, the fig tree can be viewed as Israel, and the fact that the fig tree had leaves but no fruit is um, symbolic of Israel's religious activity. From far away, it seemed Israel was fruitful in their spirituality, but upon closer inspection, it was clear that Israel was not producing any fruit. 
Israel may have had the leaves of activity, but not the fruit of repentance and obedience to God. Which is why Jesus tells the religious leaders that the tax collectors and prostitutes will enter the kingdom of God ahead of them. In Matthew 21, 23 through 27, the religious leaders question Jesus's authority. The religious leaders wonder who this man called Jesus that came in and is receiving the praises of the people is. The stage was set for a showdown. Jesus in one corner and the religious leaders in the other. After Jesus finished telling the parable of the two sons, he goes on to tell the parable of the tenants and of the wedding feast. Each of these three parables were told to the Jewish religious leaders and each illustrate the rejection of Jesus and pronounce judgment on Israel for their rejection of the Messiah. In the parable of the two sons, the religious leaders of Israel are the second son who claimed obedience but did not do the will of the father. James 4.17 reads, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. The second son knew what he needed to do but did not do it. While the first son disobeyed at first, then came around, as we often do in our own lives. In our own lives, we need to strive to be like that first son because we all have disappointed God or disobeyed God at some point. We all have had to change the path of our lives to walk with Christ. I'm sure every parent-kid duo can think of a time similar to this. When my siblings and I were younger and my mom was giving out chores, it would seem that I would get stuck with sweeping, mopping, painting the fence, and cleaning the attic while my brother had to dust. Although I might have griped and complained, showing that I was not eager to do the chores, I had not fully obeyed my mom until after the chores were complete. In John 1.23, we read, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the ways for the Lord. Through these words, it is clear that as my mom asking my siblings and I to complete a chore, God had sent John the Baptist to prepare Israel for the Messiah's coming. Where the religious leaders were skeptical of John's message, Israel's prostitutes and tax collectors responded to John's message and it was known that the religious leaders did not complete their chore. The first son, who did not obey, then changed his mind and fulfilled his obedience is like the tax collectors and prostitutes, who did wicked, but then held fast to what John the Baptist told them and changed their ways. In the same way, I think of the religious leaders as my friend Paige. She had the perfect tool to help her, but she overlooked that tool and made a mistake. The religious leaders did not see their solution. Jesus was right in front of them. The low tax collectors and prostitutes had the basic understanding that Jesus was the way to salvation, while the high religious leaders refused to believe in what was right in front of them. Most of Israel's religious establishment made a big show of their obedience, but they refused to recognize what God was doing. We, as Christians, need to have our eyes open to what God is doing. And we need to strive to be like the ones who changed from their evil ways and strove to be righteous. So, what does the parable of the two sons mean? This story should unsettle us because it goes to show that we might have the best intentions with our promises of fulfillment, but promised obedience is not necessarily obedience. In the context of the parable of the two sons in Matthew 21, 28-32, I believe we all have have fallen victim to being in the place of the religious leaders. We all have been disobedient and blind to the choices that were right in front of us. 
And in all truthfulness, it is easy in today's time with the news and all the evil things in our world that is accepted by our world are constantly in our faces. Knowing this, I want to offer a challenge. I challenge everyone to find an accountability partner so that when we become blinded because of the evil we are constantly seeing, they can lovingly bring us back to the straight and narrow path. With having an accountability partner, it will make it easier to catch our blindness and not allow it to lead to disobedience. While I believe everything we've talked about today is very important, what I want you to take away is this. We should be completely obedient to God and fulfill our promises to the Lord. And the parable of the two sons also serves as a huge reminder that it is never too late to follow through on the things that Jesus asks from us. As long as there is breath in our lungs, there is another chance to get our past straight. As we go back into the world, I encourage you to remember the parable of the two sons and how we need to open our eyes and see how God is looking for obedience in our lives. And always, always remember that in the times we lose our way, there is a loving and almighty Father waiting to restore our sight and bring us back home. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the endless love you pour down on us. I pray that you would open our eyes to your ways and help us to fully submit ourselves to you. We pray that you would come soon. In your Son's most gracious and heavenly name, we pray. Amen. If you are struggling to love your neighbor or with being obedient, and if there is any way we could help you, please come now as we stand and sing.